Harl Mountainblood, ranger captain of the Forge's scout unit, falls in a heap in front of a roaring campfire. The ranging into Anthodkis had been a grueling affair, and he was thankful just to rest his bones. It had been a month since his unit arrived with the archer and cavalry troops sent to bolster the orc armies in their war with the Dragonborn. However, as the dwarven units arrived, the Dragonborn retreated from Gorkosh, seemingly in defeat. Instead of aiding in the defense of the orcs, however, the mobile dwarven units were pressed into a forced march north into the lands of the kobolds. The reason given was that the kobolds had personally offended Dalar, the mysterious leader of the orc nation, and needed to be punished. It had been a tough sell for the dwarven rangers begrudgingly performed their task, attacking kobold settlements in southern Anthakis. As Harl pulls his boots off to air out his aching feet, he is joined at the fire by Jürgen Stoutheart, his chief lieutenant. All right, Captain. Are we through with this folly? Have the bolds been sufficiently cowed? What's the word? Harl sighs long and hard. He had just come from the tent of the orc chieftain, Yenner Splitskull, their commander in this ranging. Are you sure you want to hear it? You're not going to like it. Come on, just spill it. We'll all find out in the morning. Best to rip out the arrow quick-like. Until now, the orcs have been attacking settlements housing rank-and-file mercenary forces of the lesser kobolds and beating back defense forces sent down by the river. These were military targets. The campaign was ugly, but not egregious. That day, however, things appeared to be taking an ugly turn. They had found that there were other denizens of Enthodkis, native beings not affiliated with the kobold nation. The rangers identified a settlement populated by Saurians. Large reptile humanoids, less advanced than the kobolds, and not inherently hostile. Harl reported his unit's findings to Splitskull, suggesting that they not engage. His suggestion was dismissed out of hand. We're marching on the Saurians. Jürgen stares back at Harl in disbelief. A moment passes between them silently. <laughs> oh, you had me going there for a second. Harl stares back at Jürgen, his expression not changing. You're serious? For the smith's sake, why? They want to move straight north to the spire, and anyone that gets in the way gets mowed down. And you're okay with this? They're going to put innocence to the torch for what? A shortcut? We have an agreement. I'm not killing villagers. No one's asking you to. We're just there to protect the orcs. I made it clear- Oh, well, that's okay then. We won't light the torch, but we'll kill to keep it lit. That's enough, Stoutheart. We have our orders. So get to your tent so we can be fresh for the morning ranging. With that, Harl slumps down, draws his hood over his face. Jürgen starts to snap off a retort, but Harl raises his finger and stops him cold. Aye, aye, Captain. Jürgen begins to stomp off to his tent, muttering to himself. He turns back again to Harl, but by then, he is already snoring. Well, looks like someone's conscience is clear. I never thought I'd see the day. Jürgen walks across the camp and finds a small tent. He leans down to open the flap when a sound grabs his attention. <gasps> At the fire, Harl wakes with a start, his face pale as a sheet. He looks around, confused, until his eyes meet Jürgen's. He stalks purposefully to his lieutenant, who regards him with dismay. We have new orders. We have one more fight here, and then we head home. We are going into that village, and we will fight. But it's not going to go the way the orcs want it to. What are you saying? New orders? From a dream or something? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I know this is the right move. I know it. 
Must have been some kind of dream. Let's just say I got a tip from an old friend. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are the Architects of Entropy, and this is episode 55. Five, five. Now that is a number, right? That's like a... Hold on. Sorry. I got to get these cats out of my room. Hold on. <laughs> go, 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 go. No one will be admitted during the hurting cat scene. <laughs> I was going to say that it's late in the season to come up with the best t-shirt idea. <laughs> I got to get these cats out of the room. <laughs> All right. Well, now that the cats are gone, this can continue. Mm. Um, I might just leave that in. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It'll be uh, all of our characters' new catchphrase. I got to get these cats out of the room. <laughs> the cats mm-hmm. out of the room. Well, now that these cats are gone, we can get started. All righty. Well, now that that's done. That's a sign. Holy mackerel. Uh, hey, we're back uh, once again. Obviously, <laughs> Kevin and Scott and Rick are here. MJ yeah. is, uh, is still busy being uh, much more popular than us. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's not at all like. 10 minutes after the last episode was recorded, which is you're recording these. (laughs) Yes. People heard all this dumb shit. I said, Oh man, as long as he's not putting them out somewhere after recording them, I guess it's okay. Can all be used as evidence. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) for all intents and purposes. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, Hard to get people listening to a podcast. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Why are we intense? Um, <laughs> I don't know. So last we left you guys, uh, you know, it's uh, about maybe 30 seconds from the start of last week's episode. It is not uncommon for these shows to have combats that last the span of several episodes. <laughs> but I'll say this for 5e. It's less likely to happen in 5e than in other kind of versions of this game. So <laughs> as much as everyone is getting on the Pathfinder train, I've listened to second edition Pathfinder podcasts and uh, there are combats that last multiple episodes. So I'm just <laughs> saying, I'm just saying, I, I love them both, <laughs> but you know, you can see uh, one might lend itself better, a little bit better than some of them. Make controversial statements. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so there was a tent standoff in the office of the Booms End Inn, which was immediately broken by uh, Sir Nolan Keth just jumping across a desk to stab Rolf Ruger, setting off a series of events that left all of our heroes uh, pretty much fine, mm. and most of the Ruger family not so great. And uh, yeah, it, it ended kind of weirdly. There was a, a blood ghost, a... Uh, Blood ghost puppeting Kiernan, apparently. And it seems that Gertrude was able to calm her barbarian brother down from his rage. Uh, Yeah. So basically, your cover is blown, but uh, it seems like you don't have to deal with Frolfruger anymore. Mm -hmm. So the one thing that we forgot to mention at the end of last episode as well, in the last uh, round of that fight, Morpal savaged Garl, (laughs) whipped out his short swords, and just hacked him to pieces. So we'll go right back in the office where Gertrude is calming down Hans and Kiernan is unconscious on the floor. And uh, once she settles him down, he kind of just stands there staring off into a corner quietly. She, of course, puts out the small fire 
on the mm. side of a shirt. Well, I will grab Kiernan and get Kiernan into a chair and I will go, hey, you, you, you all right? You're right. Check it, you know, do some kind of rudimentary, like, you know, this is my friend and, you know, sir not appearing in this episode. So I won't have a long conversation or nothing, but it seems polite to get Kiernan off the floor. So you're able to get Kiernan off the floor and into a, into a chair. He is kind of coming in and out of consciousness it's less like it's not like there's no damage on him but it's like his okay. mind is recovering from being clumsily ridden by some kind of strange spiritual yeah. entity yeah stepper knows all about that other than the spiritual <laughs> yes yeah all right i will uh well once kieran looks like okay i will go over and uh clumsily tie up helga gag helga blindfold helga maybe ma- match her head into the wall as i pick her up too Yes. I'm not going to coup de gras her just because it seems like there's a peace going on here. I mean, she's not, you know. Yeah. I, I'm fighting the urge to just end it right now. But like, no, there's a, a hanging that has to happen. I don't know. Or a head chopping off. Because if she dies, she dies. But uh, but yeah. uh, if she doesn't, then we'll do it official, like, I guess. Once she's finished with Hans, Gertrude sees you out there and says, leave her to me. She is not blameless, but her sins were largely sins of omission, apparently. All right. And I will look over at the goblins <laughs> and be like, there are, um, you know, things she needs to answer. And uh, I'm not one who really likes to leave people come after me. So, I mean, I can cut off some fingers, but that seems kind of gauche. Yeah, at this point, the goblins of Boom's End start kind of popping out of places and, and making their way in. They kind of look at this site and they see a, a garl just all stabbed up on the ground and they just look like, ah, oh, I really wanted to stab him. <laughs> it's not too late. There's still a corpse. I mean, it'd be more symbolic at this point, but by all means. Here's some daggers. Yeah. <laughs> Do not worry. I'll make sure that the uh, staff is treated better. So, I understand you are uh, not here to raid some kind of tomb. I was able to get that out of uh, Kiernan before he was taken. We're actually not here to hire mercenaries either, but, you know, I mean, I'm not opposed to it, but uh, there's an entity that we've been following around to every swamp uh, in the entire known world, apparently, that we call, or it calls itself, the God Without Shape, and it has found itself into a lovely slime place. I'm struggling to remember, but also Nolan's kind of like, yeah, I don't, didn't really remember yeah. any of this either. I just know we had to go here and kill a slime god. And yeah, it, it, it is written down to Amthodkis in some kind of underground slime river that nobody knew existed until it happened. So we have chased this thing from uh, Winya's Hollow to uh, the land of Morpal's people. and. <laughs> and I will not correct myself out. The land of Morpal's people is what it will be <laughs> referred to from now on. It has come here to Imthodkiss, and uh, we had this very, very clever, if I do say so myself, way to get into Imthodkiss to defeat this entity so that it cannot spew any more corruption. Uh, and it was going to be nice and clean and, it, well, until we got into the slime pits. Unfortunately, that has kind of gone sideways, but hopefully some small good can come of, and I'll just gesture to the corpses, <laughs> this mess but we're still in need of passage, unfortunately, which I don't think we're going to uh, get through the traps. Luckily, uh, I am the one 
who can lead you where you need to go. There's some things I need to settle here before we do that. Um, she walks into the office and she starts going through Rolf's desk. From what I've been able to glean, something happened between my father and my uncle and resulted in his demise. And he was able to find his way back through the materials he created. I'm not exactly sure all of his uh, records burned up in the fire. Uh, and it is then, uh, Zika, that you, re- you remember that you have a little pouch full of burnt papers. Right. Oh, uh, I have something that might be interesting. Well, we can't possibly help you with any records. <laughs> but if there's anything else we can do. <laughs> oh, what? What? Huh? Well, I, a strange sort of amorphous blob. We're sort of um, having, we're kind of lousy with those these days. <laughs> um, helped me gather up this, and then I'll I'll kind of dump the bag out onto a table. Yeah, you dump it out right onto the desk there, and yeah, I see. Well, and I'll, I'll mention where I found it. You know, in the burned out building in the back. And at this point, Razor, you realize that if only someone could repair this book with some kind of, um, say, like a mending spell. Pretend it's dirty clothes. <laughs> Beyond my capabilities. Yeah. Oh. All right. <laughs> uh, I will. I will uh, mend this book. All right. So it takes a minute, but uh, eventually the book kind of slowly starts to reform and unfold and and the pages start to unburn and come back together. And there is a a journal sitting there on the desk. Gertrude spends uh, a little time going through the journal. As she does so, she will pull some things out of the desk. It looks like some correspondences that Rolf had been in the process of receiving and answering. And as she's kind of going through the book, there's a few things that you can kind of figure out. If anyone goes through these letters, they will see that apparently for the last few weeks or couple months, Rolf had been corresponding with someone in Mthodkis, and they uh, were coming up with some kind of scheme to escape from apparently the dragon and pay off Rolf in a certain amount of the dragon's hoard to get them out. You will also notice that Rolf uh, has uh, a kind of hidden vault in the side of his office that he tried to use as a safe room during the fight. There are basically coffers with gold and items and all kinds of things that look like he was just kind of stockpiling here. And once you kind of get a minute to collect yourselves and go all through this stuff, Gertrude just kind of skims through and she looks just kind of horrified by what she finds. Apparently, when I was gone last year, my brother had an accident and died. And through the use of my father's alchemical uh, experiments, he was able to bring him back to a semblance of life. And he loved to have our family leave this place so he could share his uh, scientific discoveries with the world and chart a new course for our family. But uh, my uncle disagreed with him. They had an argument that ended with Rolf burning down his lab with his brother inside. We've made all manner of mistakes here. My my father should have let my brother rest. He is, she just kind of points at him. He is not uh, what he was. But it appears my father has gotten his revenge. Let me see those letters, sir. Uh, 
What have you learned? I haven't learned a great deal. Uh, words and fragments were all I'd learned at this point. Gertrude starts kind of piecing through the letters. I think I know who this is. He's been speaking with Korlak Tortoise, the dragon, the great dragon of Mthodkis is, uh, well, he is of the great dragons, probably the most capricious, mercurial almost. He, uh, he has collected over time, not only uh, objects and wealth, but people. From time to time, he picks a favorite, and that favorite becomes his um, pet, perhaps, but concubine is a little bit more uh, appropriate from what I understand. Oh, dear. Yes, yes. Well, uh, like I said, uh, uh, Corlac Tortoise is, uh, is a creature of, of appetites. His most recent concubine is a tiefling called Atris. Many people believe that they came here with the knowledge of what could be gained by becoming friends with the dragon, but they appear to be in fear of losing his favor and have been concocting a plan with my uncle to collect them and escape. This is true, then... My uncle was getting ready to leave. I was told that he was going to Amtakis. Now I know why. Apparently, he had plans to meet this Atris and then spirit them out. I don't know exactly where they were to meet. It appears that they have had communications in the past, but this is very troubling. The dragon has been preoccupied of late with something. Perhaps it has something to do with this being you seek, but I don't know. There seems to be a lot of moving pieces going on here. Perhaps uh, if I can rouse my aunt, maybe she can fill in some details. So I doubt she knows anything. She's always been her brother's lackey. My father, uh, for what small communications we had, said uh, she was blameless, but had to know something. But anyway, um, it makes no difference now. I will take you where you need to go, and... uh, looks over at the goblins and say, like, I will take what I need and leave this place to those who have taken care of it all this time. And the goblins look uh, kind of happy. They can run this horrible place. They've uh, been running it anyway, if you wish. And you see over in the corner, one of the goblins is actually removing some stitches from Maid's mouth, as apparently (laughs) her mouth was stitched together. Oh, boy. Once she is able to speak again, uh, she says, I believe we have decided that we will run this place in the manner that is more appropriate, <laughs> if you wish, mistress. Do what you wish. I have no desire to return here when we are done. But I will take you where you need to go. You said something about slime, correct? Unfortunately. I- well, there is a place deep within... The swamps, not too far from the dragon's lair, but far enough to escape its notice. Uh, from what they understand, the slimes and oozes that the kobolds uh, use as weapons are uh, created by a kind of intelligence that exists. A creature of slime and ooze that apparently, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but uh, they call it the great slime. I know uh, if you wish to learn more, I believe I can get you to the right person. 
the kobolds have a specialist who can uh, communicate with the great slime. I can bring you to them if you wish, or uh, perhaps we can seek out Atris and find out what they know. But I can tell you this right now, that I can get you through the gauntlet and to many different places within Anthodkis, but it is very possible that we might run into some orc raiding parties as well, as they are rumored to be moving up through the swamps. Well, orc raiding parties are the least of our concern at this point. Zika Razor, I don't know if you have any other insight, but I think somebody who knows about slimes and can... I, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, but can communicate with them. Yeah. I think it's probably our best step because if they're not corrupted, they're going to be our best chance of letting things know what is corrupted. Because if you put a slime in front of me, one corrupted slime and one uncorrupted slime, I would not be able to tell the difference. So somebody who might be able to, I feel like would be really useful. Sure. Yes. I yes. think that's going to yeah. be plant people. So I think it'll be kind of hard to figure out uh, what's going on without that. So I think that might be the way to go. Don't know if this is if we should go that route or not. Or I think we talk to the slimes first. I can get you to. Uh, he is called Sumka Slime Talker. <laughs> he has uh, for some time served as a uh, go-between. It is a position that he does not relish. <laughs> He's a uh, very capable alchemist and feels his uses are better served elsewhere. But he is uh, he is the only one who seems to be able to commune with the slime and uh, gets what they want out of it. From what I understand, it is a... Uh, well, it is not pleasant. Though I feel like that probably goes without saying. But I will get ready. Whenever you are ready to travel, uh, you might wish to rest, perhaps, and uh, recoup from this adventure, and then we can set off. Yes, I think the morning would be fine. Very well, then. I will see to your friend. She goes over to Kieran and... and I'd like to take that opportunity to steal some gold out of the, the, uh, the secret <laughs> room. Yeah, no, no, feel free. <laughs> okay. Once a Nolan, always a Nolan. Yeah, yeah, I know. We got to pay for our quest somehow. Right. And I got, you know, I want to give my halfling friend at least some kind of return on his uh, <laughs> investment. So, you know, it's, it's not entirely selfish, but, you know, we got a knight errantry ain't cheap. <laughs> no one's paying us for this. <laughs> so this is, this is what I'll do is I'm gonna, let's see. If you, yeah, if you go into the vault, you can probably pretty easily get uh uh you know without obviously uh jingling too much on the way jingling out. too much you could probably get about a hundred platinum out of there which is a thousand gold all right and there seems to be a smattering of random items mm -hmm. if there is a type of item you would like to grab let me know and i'll randomly figure out what it is but yeah, uh no let's go to the dmg first edition there's a table for this yeah oh, well, yeah, yeah it's gonna have to be since I'm I'm doing this on the slot, I, I was not offered, hey, if you want to go in there and pillage anything, use for your quest. So I can't pick anything big. So rings and uh, and that kind of stuff seems like a, a thing to grab, you know, fistful of rings or something and, and just pocket those and then get out of there. Because, you know, I, I don't want the goblins to think I'm like, uh, you know, looting their stuff, even though I am absolutely looting. Just <laughs> get something wacky like Vorpal Brass Knuckles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love some elven boots and all, but, you know. 
okay, so roll a d10. All righty. Uh, that is a two. Okay. A ring of evasion. All right. Okay. Let's see. If wands, staves, scrolls, rods, weapons, or the wondrous item. <laughs> the wondrous item. Wondrous item. Right. Okay. Yeah, we got to get that. It's called the wondrous item. Come on. Go ahead and give me yeah. a D10. Yeah. Uh, that is a one. Okay. This is. Trident of fish command. Come on. Trident of fish command. <laughs> That's what we all need, really. Yes. This is a beat of force. All right. Only you choose one more. Does anybody want to steer me toward a specific thing? A specific kind of thing? Because otherwise I'll grab another ring because that seems the most obvious. You know, I want to grab something small because I'm, you know, pocketing stuff. And Do they have any magic nachos? Yeah, yeah, magic, ooh, magic nachos would be great. <laughs> Plus two crack pipe. You rings, know, you know. potions, uh, rings, wands. amulets. You know, jewelry of some sort. Jewelry of some sort. Okay. Razor wants some jewelry. Give me some jewelry. Here we go. A necklace of adaptation. All right. It works against things that uh, might affect your breath, like cloud kill or stinking cloud or inhaled poisons or breath weapons. All right. There we go. Page 182 at the Dungeon Master's Guide. You're able to get those things. Those okay, cool. also might be worth uh, worth uh, trading people to for other things or, yeah, uh, sure. or just, uh, you know. But the beat of force is nice. The beat of force mm-hmm. is nasty. Alrighty, so you help yourself to some stuff. And then that bead of force, is there what usually 1d4 plus 4 is what I'm reading here. So do I, is it just one or do I have are there oh, multiple? Oh, beads? you'll have, uh, yeah, the bead of force is actually, uh, I will say you have a necklace that you can pull off six. Okay. So basically, yeah, it's like a little necklace or bracelet or, or bangle or something. You could just pull off a bead of force and hurl it. Pull up a mm-hmm. bunch of them, hurl it. They're like little like pocket magic missiles. All right, cool. All right, well, we'll divvy those up before bed here, and then uh, we'll we'll figure out what everybody wants. And Morple gets nothing. Oh well, that's what you get for getting tied up. Um, that'll teach him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you you want a stolen magic item? You got to work for it, buddy. <laughs> Killing an already unconscious goblin's not going to do it. <laughs> Step it up. Morple just kind of motions at something just kind of on his bell and goes, all right, I got something. And uh, you see he's got Rolf's dagger of venom. Oh, okay, cool. There you go. That I believe he tried to hurl at somebody at some point. Mm. Poorly. Oof. Carl had poison blades. He had poison blades. And they're all oh, yeah. hitting Nolan, who made all the saves. When Which he hit is... Razor, Razor had advantage on those saves anyway. So he wasn't yeah. probably wasn't going to poison anyone, but he could have done a lot of extra damage to people. Yeah. He could have poisoned me very easily. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, but Rolf was gone by the time you got in there. I was actually, I was strategically hanging back. That was, that was smart. <laughs> that was smart. I was strategically rolling unconsciously well uh, <laughs> on my constitution saves, which is not really my... My fort, as it were. Yeah, I was referring to a map that I had made, uh, so I knew where everything was. I wasn't just pulling them, pulling out off my, out of my butt like I usually am. All so right. I'm pretty proud of myself. So we're all doing awesome. Okay, yeah, here we go. Yeah. You guys <laughs> have made right. it out of this just fine. You got some random magic items, a bunch of mm-hmm. money. Uh, <laughs> you got people to do slime to talk to. You're yeah, yeah. All right. Well, if anybody has anything they want out of this stuff, the uh, evasion. You can spend a charge of it, if I'm reading the right thing, to yeah. succeed on a dexterity saving throw that you've otherwise failed. 
beads of force are, hey, you can chuck things that blow up. And uh, the uh, necklace of adaptation I didn't find, but you said it was a helps you against. It basically gives you advantage against like um, inhaled, inhaled things. Okay. It creates a bubble of air around you, I believe. Oh, so that... okay, yeah. So, so you could actually like go underwater and stuff with it too. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, it's just three charges. It regains one d three charges daily. When you fail dexterity saving throw, you can use your reaction to expend one of its charges and succeed. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a cool thing. That's handy. Yep. I, I'm thinking that's a good thing for Razor. Uh, not that we have a lot of deck saves, but I'm just guessing that that's not his best thing. But I don't. If you want something else, Razor. No, that's cool. All right, I was thinking Ring of Evasion for Razor, Beads of Force for Zika, and then I would take the Necklace of Adaptation. But if somebody wants to trade me, I'm okay with that. Somebody else is worried about Noxious Clouds. <laughs> I'll take whatever. Okay. I, I have no strong opinions. Okay. All right. Well, we can always trade uh, later uh, if it turns out that somebody is like, oh, I'm going to go into this Noxious Cloud. It's like, oh, well, you should take this then. Yeah. <laughs> so we can arrange it as needed, hopefully. I can throw you a necklace as a bonus action, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, cool. All right. So, um, yeah. All right. So, yeah. So, you guys uh, will get the opportunity to rest. I'm assuming you're getting all your stuff together. And yeah, things you learn about this place as you get some time to look through it is and and Gertrude will uh, will probably he'll be point out some of the stuff is that there are hidey holes in every room. There are narrow passages in all of the walls between the rooms where people can spy and listen. Like, uh, I even mapped it out. Like, there is literally, like, every room has, you know, uh, just narrow passageways between them that they periodically will just spy on whoever is staying here. You know, it's it's a real gross place. Rolf has been skimming from whoever comes through here. He's like taking these deposits that the kobolds will never see. And he has been bought off by Atris. So yeah, you learned all, all the all the deep dark secrets of this place. We should grab those letters that prove Rolf was corresponding with Atris. Yeah. As useful currency in case we get into trouble with, say, a dragon or with Atris. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. You know, we might need to heroically blackmail or turn over the blackmail evidence to someone. You never know. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. You're you're keeping your options open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you guys are ready, Gertrude will meet you down at the edge of the property. Kiernan is getting better, but he's still, you know, a little bit fuzzy. He's kind of leaning on Gertrude a lot. They seem to be getting, you know, closer in, in some kind of way. Probably less close than they would have been if, say, MJ was here. But, you know, mm-hmm. um, who knows? Uh, maybe she'll still be with you. I don't know. You follow her. She's actually on her horse, but she's, you know, walking slowly with you as you make your way towards the edge of the swamp by late morning. As you move, the wood around you is getting thicker and the sky around you kind of hazier as the closer you get to the swamp. There's like these nasty swamp gas smells and it's a little bit hazy in the air. There are these Thick, dark, crazy, windy trees pushing up into the sky. The ground gets darker and softer the closer you get. And finally, you find yourselves standing on the edge of the swamp itself. There are these 
dirt paths that kind of come up out of the swamp and kind of move all around. It's very clear that, you know, obviously moving through the swamp, you have to take and pick these different winding routes all over the place. You follow her as she starts guiding you through this one specific path that appears to just not make any real sense. You know, it'll go back and like take sharp turn to the left and then almost loop back around in on itself. She cautions you to follow implicitly where she goes. And as you do that, the swamp gas gets thicker and it gets darker and light is barely penetrating these huge gnarled trees that spring up everywhere. All around you is just this brackish water. And as you continue through this windy path, you notice every now and then you will see evidence of people who chose poorly. You will see people hanging out of trees. You will see occasionally a hands coming up, up out of the swamp, like grasping, like old desiccated hands. You know, you might trod over some old bits of someone. It's, it's, it's horrible. You follow this path for probably about an hour or so, and then eventually it widens out into a trail or a site you've not seen this whole time is like this one continuous long path. The trees have all arched around for as far as you can see. There's these winding vines that kind of make a canopy over it. And it's one of those things that looks like, oh, this is undoubtedly some kind of trap. (laughs) Mm. Because, you know, if you've gotten this far, Maybe you'd think, oh, okay, well, this is where it gets easy. And as she gets to uh, where it begins, Gertrude stops and then uh, looks to you. This is the path that only I can guide you through. It's very important. Very few beings have gained the trust of this place. Do not get in front of me or I will lose control of it. And you look up into the trees and Zika, you will know this without even having to roll. You identify these vines that run all the way down as far as you can see. It's a creature known as an assassin vine. Oh, yes. And it is probably the most assassin vines you've seen collected in one place. (laughs) You know, because they're undoubtedly the glasswood. Undoubtedly, they're they're in the glasswood in some parts. I would have no doubt, but like, this is like one huge, solid miles long assassin vine. And you get the idea that if anybody's going through is not supposed to be here, it can at any time just start grabbing you up, you know, just, you know, like no one's getting through here unless this creature allows them to. And as she begins to lead you through, sure enough, as you're walking behind her, you're trying to stay as close as you can because you know, once she passes the vines, you start seeing them moving around just like snakes and they're pulling taut, you know, and then loosening and kind of dropping a little bit, almost kind of like sniffing at you, but not going any further than maybe like a foot above your head. But it is very, very intimidating to know that this path could just eat you whenever it wanted to. Hmm. Fun fact, the uh, collective noun for assassin vines is uh, a walk-in closet of assassin vines. Hmm. (laughs) Yes. Some science for you. (laughs) So as you uh, are going through, Gertrude will ask you, so how dangerous is this thing that you have been fighting? 
quite dangerous. Yeah, it corrupts others that it can, and it turns them to its will. So you wind up kind of fighting people you would prefer not to have to fight. You know, some people who might be entirely innocent, and it itself is, uh, you know, the worst. (laughs) But its corruption seems to be the biggest trouble, as it can bring many... It's not just it. You know, it'll have many minions that it will corrupt to its purpose. (sighs) It's a real pain in the ass. (laughs) Honestly, as far as quests go, this is really not what I would have hoped for. Let's see. I have heard the rumors of uh, strange kind of sicknesses popping up here and there. A lot of uh, talk from people coming from Malshar. Is that this thing, do you believe? Yes, that's where we first encountered it. I see. Well... If this thing has come here, I don't know what it is trying to accomplish. This place is already pretty corrupt, as you can see. Hmm. What is it looking for? I mean, what does it want? Well, it appears it wants to turn the whole world into this. I don't know. It's almost like it's a god or something trying to summon itself through. I, I don't fully understand what it's up to, but uh, it does need to be stopped. Because the things it does turns people into its zombie servants uh well one thing you kind of learned from it when you were kind of communing with it briefly through uh the fake uh professor fumel is it was like something like it looking for a suitable home it wanted to basically become one with all of the mycologs so you get the impression perhaps this being is actually looking for a suitable like host form for itself what that could be, you're not sure, but there, you know, there's a lot of different nasty things down here. You've gone around and around so many ways, it's not even really clear kind of what direction you're going. But by like late afternoon, you have trudged through this place for hours following this path deeper in. And eventually it kind of comes to a point where the wood kind of clears out to some extent you start to kind of see more of the landscape around you. You're not sure which direction you're going, but as the day progresses, you start moving down. You find yourself just kind of going constantly like downhill. And then you realize, you know, by about this point in the day that when you look behind you, the swamp seems to come up around you and you kind of feel like elevation kind of dip as you're moving further down into this kind of like big bowl. To your right, you see... There's this great big hill, and they're like these wooden towers here and there on the sides of the hill. And there seem to be beings like just kind of running around and all manner of, of, it's kind of hard to tell from here, but it looks like they have contraptions and things that they're pulling around this mountain. And, and you start to hear this kind of almost continuous thrum of boom. And then a boom, and then boom, boom, and then a boom. You know, it's like these occasional just explosions popping off over where that hill is. And then eventually coming up over the hill is this big round shape floating through the air. It's basically a big balloon that's like made out of like hides and leather and things. And there's like a little basket underneath it that uh, these kobolds are kind of hanging out of, like throwing things down from. And you're seeing your first kobold airship. Right. It's not all that, you know, sophisticated, but considering, you know, they're the only people that have this, it is kind of interesting to see at one point it moves up as high as it can over the hill. And you see one kobold 
kind of climb up to the edge of the basket. Um, he has something on his back, or they, you can't tell. I mean, it's a kobold. They have something on their back. The kobold just kind of looks down and then jumps out from the basket, just plummeting towards the ground. And then you see this pack of thing that it has on its back all of a sudden just kind of shoots out to the side of these like mechanical wings. And for a moment, it ceases plummeting and starts to kind of glide a little bit, almost starts to kind of go back up into the air. And then after, you know, maybe about 10 or 20 seconds, uh, the wings start to shake apart and then they fall off. Then the kobold just plummets to the ground. And you're pretty sure you can see somebody hanging off that basket, just kind of like writing on like a clipboard, essentially. Kind of charting the fall uh, of this poor kobold, who for a moment flew. Right. That is Snakesh, the proving ground. That's where the uh, the Shreb test all of their new inventions. Their flying machines and their explosions and cannons and bombs. And you look down kind of front from where you are and you see the ground just continues to bowl down um, into this big black mass of swamp and trees. It takes a minute for you to kind of notice it, but like in the center of this, you see this black shape hidden kind of behind the trees, but it just towers up as far as you can see up past where the trees end. That is the dragon spire. It points up from the very center of the swamp. That is uh, the lair of Collectortis. That is where uh, Atris lives and his priests, the Kukshin. Beyond the hill to the north is Shrebkash. That is where most of the Shreb live. It's their grand city. To the south is Jakesh, and that is where the uh, the kobold underclass uh, is one of their larger cities as well. The Great Slime, she points kind of southwest, is just deep in the swamps within sight of the Great Spire, but uh, far enough away. It's not the most pleasant trip to get to, but if we are lucky, we might be able to cross paths with Sunka. All right. Here is a good place for you to rest. I'll inquire at Jakesh to see if the kobolds have seen Sunka, but for now, it is best that you stay here and rest. So she kind of leaves you there as you rest there. You get a moment to kind of reflect on this place. Who can give me perception rolls? I can give you a perception roll. Not a successful perception <laughs> roll. I got a nine. Got a 23. Okay. I got a 13. All right, Zika. You notice this first from directly due west. You hear this sound of almost like a sail unfurling, like this whooshing kind of noise. It's very distant, but it starts to get louder and louder. And then the sky begins to darken. And that's when everyone else kind of notices the thing that Zika is drawn to. As you look up, you see this massive shape in the sky. It is a blackish, dark green, massive reptilian form. It is the largest thing you've ever seen. As the dragon comes into view, it begins to loop up into the sky. And eventually it just kind of glides in the air and then lets out a tremendous roar. And that is where we will leave things.
for tonight. <laughs> as Corlick Tortoise, the great dragon, comes into view. It's probably fine. <laughs> I mean, it's not coming at you or anything. Yeah, but no, it's probably fine. It is, it is terrifying. Yeah, I mean, that wouldn't be the perfect body for the god without form, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess. I'm pretty sure we have beads of horse. We can take him. Yeah. yeah. Huh. <laughs> Alrighty. So, uh, yes, yeah, so and next we meet you, uh, we will begin the path to the end of our story, or at least uh, the end of this part of it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all we got to do is end up in a dragon's stomach. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> oh, they'll sing a song about you. You end up in the dragon's stomach, though. That's pretty cool. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'll be in kobold, but hey. No, yeah, but you know. <laughs> I hear that a lot of the great songs are in kobold, and a lot of people just haven't heard the great songs. So, yeah, yeah. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> We're really missing out by not speaking kobold. Anyway, <laughs> I just looking at my sheet because occasionally I remember to look at my character sheet. I speak goblin. I could have been talking to the goblins in goblin at the inn the whole time. It was my only chance to talk to any goblins and I didn't do it. Not at all. Not once. Oh, well, you know, you have a lot what are you of stuff do? going on. <laughs> well, good news. I speak draconic. So if you oh, need okay, to talk awesome. to dragon. All right. You can yeah. talk to the dragon. You can say, yeah. what's the deal? What's going on? Come on, dragon. <laughs> Are you corrupted? We'll get you if you are. Hard to Uh, tell. Yeah. (laughs) All right, everyone. Well, thanks again for fun. Uh, And next time, uh, we'll uh, it'll be less of me talking. Hopefully, so (laughs) we can only hope. I mean, really. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Cool. See you all in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And once again, we would love to thank our apprentice architect patreons Gillian and john christensen suzanne bell and caitlin thompson we could not do this without you you can join our patreon at patreon.com slash aoe podcast have fun we'll see you next time